A very good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Michael Lins. I'm a partner at Golden Gate Ventures, a uh, Singapore-based VC. Um, with me today for the uh, second time, uh, and I'm very ha happy they're, they're both here, are uh, Matthew and Ferris. I'll, I'll, I'll give them um, a few minutes later to, uh, uh, to introduce themselves. Um, this afternoon is um, going to be used, we're going to use the full hour um, to talk about down rounds. And then you might wonder, Mike, you know, it's a Friday afternoon, um, we're, we're close to the weekend, and you're going to sort of, you know, talk about down rounds, not, very, not a very uppity, uh, uppity subject to talk about. Uh, but we do think it's important to, to address the situation, um, you know, during the times that we're in at the moment. Um, we're seeing a large number of companies um, having to, you know, face funding um, at a at, at a lower valuation. Um, I think we're here to say that, you know, it's definitely not the end. And I always like to make the analogy with um, um, with sports. If you look at most champions or uh, teams that have won championships or have um, won drives that have won races, you know, in the end, if you kind of look at their journey, um, there's always ups and downs. Um, you know, the ups can be very high, but also the downs can be very low. Um, so I, I believe that once you're, once you're kind of at the finish line and, and you're holding the cup and sort of having that championship, and then for you as a founder, you know, you, you, your company has success, you've gone through a number of, of lows and, and, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, something within the team um, or it could, be, it could be a down round. So today we'll, we'll address um, how to manage down rounds, how to handle it uh, when it comes to team and investors um, managing expectations. Um, what are the technicalities of down rounds uh, and what, should, what you, should you be thinking about? So we wanna ask you to ask as many questions as possible. Um, we're doing this afternoon, not for ourselves, we're, we're doing it for you. So if there is any question, there are no stupid questions. If there's any question, uh, please feel free to ask. There is a Q&A section. Um, so any question, um, we'll, we'll try to um, handle as, as many questions as, as possible. Um, as I mentioned, um, Golden Gate Ventures, early stage uh, venture capital fund in, in Southeast Asia. We've been active in, um, in the region for, uh, for about nine years. I've uh, invested in over 50 companies, have uh, three active funds at, at the moment. Um, and we've, we've worked with Cooley on a number of transactions on, on the fund side, but also, also on, the, on the deal side. Um, I want to ask both um, Matthew and Ferris to, um, uh, to briefly introduce um, Cooley and, and introduce themselves before we kick off with the session. Matthew, can I ask you to go first? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks for having us here. Um, Hi everyone, my name is Matt Bardis. Um, I'm currently a partner at Cooley and co-chair of our global startup and venture capital group. Um, we work with over 6,000 high growth technology and life sciences companies and investors worldwide. Um, so personally, I've worked with founders and investors uh, for the last 20 years in Silicon Valley. And at the beginning of this year, I relocated to Singapore to launch Cooley's fourth office in Asia uh, with my partner, Farish, who's on with us. Um, we look forward to meeting Lots of great founders and investors in the region, and we appreciate uh, Golden Gate for having us here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thank you to Golden Gate uh, for having us here again. Um, I'm Farish Patel. I'm also a partner at Cooley. Uh, along with Matt, we co-founded our fourth office here in Asia, our 16th office globally. Um, you know, Cooley focuses on exactly as Matt said, working with high growth um, technology and life science companies, basically any company within either investors or companies and founders uh, in the entire new economy. And we'll work with companies as you know, early as the proverbial two, two people in, you know, in a garage with a dream all the way up to late stage companies looking to exit and then public companies there out, uh, uh, they're on. Um, I've been in Asia for quite a number of years working with uh, companies, investors and founders all across South and Southeast Asia. So I uh, look forward to uh, our chat today. And thanks again for having us here. Thank you, thank you so much. And, and please make sure that these esteemed gentlemen um, are, are experts in, in all the technicalities. So make sure that we, we challenge them a little bit today. Um, <laughs> let's, make, let's make it a Friday fun afternoon, show. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Friday afternoon, indeed. Um, what I'll initially do is I'll, I'll kick off with a, with a short presentation and 
um, as the questions are already coming in, um, some of these questions will be addressed in, in the presentation. We'll also make sure that the, of course, this recording will be available, but also that the presentation will be available um, uh, to you as well. Um, so you have a bit of a bit of a reference if you need any information afterwards. So spare with me as the trick is always interesting if a screen share is going to work. And here we go. So as mentioned, we're going to talk about how to how to handle and how to manage a down round. Um, I, I talked a bit about our firm. Um, we also talked a little bit about about Cooley. Um, I want to kick off with the the what and the the why of down round. And and please um, keep on asking questions as we as we kind of go through this presentation. Uh, we'll have uh, definitely some time, um, a lot of time actually for uh, for Q and A. Um, I think it's most important to you know understand. Um, what a down round ex exactly is. Um, so it's basically when a company raises capital, but then at a lower post money valuation um, th than the previous round. I think what is what is where the the, the negative is, and, and I think specifically when it comes to venture capital, you know, the typical news cycle are about um, you know good news. Typically, when a company raises a larger round uh, than their than their previous round. Uh, when it's an up round, when there is when there is success, uh, that's when that's when we hear about it. Um, but as with bad news, um, no one likes to speak about down rounds. Um, I do feel that it is good to have this conversation because it is part of it's part of the entrepreneurial journey, um, and life is not always going up and up and up. You'll have these you'll you'll have these downs as well. Um, so when it comes to what would be, you know, the reasons for a down round? At what moment, at what point in time, do you decide um, to raise at a at a lower or or at a flat flat valuation? Um, I think the most important part to address here is that it doesn't mean that the company is bad, or it doesn't mean that the business model doesn't work. Um, Clearly, we've now seen um, unforeseen circumstances, and, and you know we're still in the midst of, of dealing with, with COVID-19. And earlier in the year, uh, we, we've we've spoken with founders where they initially said, you know, our revenue hasn't been hit as bad, but they're now seeing a slowdown because there was a bit of a delay in, you know, for instance, clients uh, decided to um, to cut their own costs, and and with that. They decided to to take on less less services, and that meant that they were having less revenue in the in the end. Um, raising in that environment is not not only difficult, but it comes with it with a challenge when it comes to negotiating valuation. Um, the middle part you'll see um, when a previous round is overpriced, and here it always becomes very sensitive. If you look at companies that are raising around, you'll 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 as a founder you'll know that. You, you might have this back and forth with, with your VCs or your lead investor. And a lot of it is around valuation and the value of the company. Um, for VCs, they always tend to look forward. And that forward look is usually your next round um, or at least 12 to 18 months. So within those 12 to 18 months, you're trying to, you're trying to hit, hit some KPIs. But it's also very important to understand what your next round looks like. So typically, um, when a VC invests, of course, the better situation is to have a markup on um, on the next round. If you're an early angel investor and you know looking to exit a company at Series B, of course, you'll hope that the company is is higher, it has a higher value uh, than it had previously. So there's always this discussion around: is a company overpriced, and does that overpriced company gets hurt in the end? Because your next round investor will look at different things. Um, a private equity company that looks at a series C or a series D round looks at different metrics and at different dynamics than a VC investor. A VC investor looks at different dynamics than an angel investor. So you have to understand that that negotiation around valuation also has an impact on, am I able to raise my next round at a high valuation and, and does my valuation make, uh, make sense? And I think the most critical one comes down to um, failure to hit, to hit uh, milestones and metrics. Um, when it comes down to agreeing to KPIs, you know, with your team, with your clients, um, and of course, with your, with your investor partners, um, it's very important to understand 
what is the impact if we don't hit those KPIs? Um, you know, think about are, are these more vanity metrics that you know we it looks like the company is doing great, but underlying there there are some issues. Um, are these real metrics where you know our revenue or uh, our GMV gives an actual sense on how the business is doing? Um, am I hitting you know the number of clients that that I wanted to hit? So in terms of when you are negotiating around and the round comes with certain KPIs, um, there needs to be some confidence and maybe some downside protection in terms of, you know, what if we don't hit the KPIs? What does it mean for our next round of funding? So again, it doesn't mean that the company per se is bad. Um, something could have happened in the past or you could be stuck in an unforeseen situation um, and there's a necessity to raise, to raise a down round. So when it comes to, um, you know, what happens in, in, in normal times? Yeah, in normal times, you know, any company value um, would exceed um, any liquidation preference. It makes, it makes total sense. When, when a company exits, we tend to hope that everyone is happy. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Uh, there are tough times, and whether it's an economical crisis or whether it's a pandemic, uh, as, as we're having at the moment, um, you have to think of, if we hit those times, um, what, sh what should I be doing? How does new money come in? Um, what are the negotiation tactics of these, this new investor coming in? Um, is there going to be a, a pay-to-play construct, something we've seen in the past and something we're seeing now as well? So there are some differences in terms of what preferences look like in, um, uh, in funding rounds. And what types of down rounds um, do we see? And I would love, love to get some, some comments from, uh, from, from Farish and, and Matthew as well. Is Luckily, you know, um, in, in my days, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but in my days, you, people still talk about a, a full ratchet. Um, this is where in, investors kind of take, you know, a full downside protection on their shares and, and don't feel much or even any of, of the dilution. And then the founders are actually stuck with uh, being heavily diluted. One, you know, it's never, it's never a good sign if the founder is not incentivized enough to actually get the company out of this down round and sort of, you know, in an up round again. So you just make sure that those incentives are, um, are aligned. Um, so full ratchet is something that luckily we don't see it um, um, as much anymore. Uh, but I know back, back in my days, uh, we have seen a few of those and it's never good to have you know, a founder demotivated um, in, in, the midst of, in the midst of crisis, you want to make sure that they are aligned and there's enough incentive for them and their team um, to get out of this. So I think a, a better way of looking at it is, you know, are you able to kind of do weighted average? And I would love to hear um, some input from Farish and Matthew in, you know, how do you see that, that these things are negotiated um, uh, during, a, uh, during a down round? Yeah, happy to take that one, Michael. Um, I think the important thing about these concepts is that they actually typically come into play um, before a down round. And, and, um, and the, the, what's really key about these provisions is they have a big impact on how a down round actually impacts the founding team and the investors. Um, so when you're negotiating a round, um, sometimes you see a full ratchet where you might raise a round at a certain price and the, the investor says, well, I actually think the price is too high um, so if you happen to have to raise money at a lower valuation, my price will ratchet down. And, and it, as Michael said, that's that's very extreme. Um, it's pretty rare even in the U.S. Um, but if you happen to do a down round, it can be you know very diluted because not only is your next round uh, coming in a lower value, but your prior round will effectively come in at that value. Um, so that that is um, that that's the most diluted to the founders. Um, you know, mo most deals uh, really sort of globally that have um, and dilution protection, which is very common, have uh, what's called broad-based weighted average, which, which Michael has on here. Um, that, is, um, that is a form of and dilution protection that says if, if your next round is lower, the, the prior round come, ends up being in a, in a value that's somewhere between the old value and the new value. And the difference between broad-based and narrow-based is, is how close to the two. It's sort of just a different formula. Uh, but most deals, um, in normal times are, are broad-based weighted average. Um, so I think it's, it is, it's really key to understand these provisions, you know, when you do a round, because if you, if you do have one of these down rounds, they can really have an impact on you. Uh, Farish, if you have any other feedback on that. 
No, I think that's right. And, you know, the, the key part to emphasize is that, right, like the way to think about it with the ratchet and the broad based weighted average or narrow weighted uh, uh, average is, is that your tweet, your result, it's resulting in a change or an adjustment to the conversion price, right? So investors are holding preferred shares and not to oversimplify, they're holding preferred shares. Those shares uh, upon a liquidity event will convert into ordinary or common shares. And so these concepts of full ratchet versus you know, weighted average adjustments are designed to adjust the conversion price that the investors, sorry, that the preferred shareholders have. And as those adjustments and the conversion price based off the formulas is adjusted, the number of shares, which can initially are set at one to one, right? One preferred share converts into one common share. Naturally, if, well, not naturally, but if in the unfortunate situation that you have a down round, uh, investors have to adjust that conversion price. The ratio of shares in which their per one preferred share converts into naturally increases and hence they get more ordinary or common shares, which results in dilution of the existing common shareholders, which are the founders and employees. Um, just maybe as a, as, as a follow on question, um, how often do you see in, in let's say, in good times, um, in, in up rounds, how often do you see people like actually addressing this issue um, in, in negotiations? Or is it more that we'll address it, you know, we'll kind of take, take the standard route, but it only becomes painful when there, there is an actual down round? Yeah, it, it, it's, um, you know, Mike, Michael, we actually, um, on our Cooley Go site, um, we actually publish all our data for thousands of venture deals. And it, this is a really funny chart um, on, on the page because the chart that shows broad-based weighted average is like 99%. Um, and, and really, um, these other forms are, are 1% or 2% of deals. So people kind of just, this is almost like a throwaway term in most deals. Um, which I think from a founder perspective is good because I, as I said, I think, you know, broad-based weighted average has kind of become uh, standard and that's the best thing to have if you happen to have, you know, a, a down round. So I think, I think it's a bit of a throwaway term. We almost never talk about it unless there's a big divergence in value expectations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was, just, I was pulling up the data and, you know, even if you look at through Q2 of 2020, um, both his globally off of our data sets, but then even just frankly on deals, Exactly to Matt's point, Michael, what you were highlighting earlier, which is is that in Southeast Asia, South Asia, most um, quality investors aren't seeking to put in full ratchet provisions in the you know at their investment you know at the stage of their investment. It's almost a little bit too balkanizing, um, right? Because the idea being that hey, look, like as and when we do have to cross uh, a bit of a turbulent seas. We're, you know, we're coming right out of the gates and we're letting you know at the start of our relationship that we're going to compress the, uh, or we're going to result, it's going to result in a hyper dilutive event for the founders and common shareholders. So it's quite rare where we see that outside of, you know, kind of unique circumstance deals like what Matt highlighted. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Um, so one of the, um, I, I already saw one of the questions coming in around, what should I be doing when 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 a down route kind of you know hits hits the company? Um, and we'll talk a bit more about you know the team and and sort of managing expectations. Uh, but in terms of the, the technicalities, we just want to jump in a few um, sort of a few items here. Um, I, you know, I loved it when we were building the presentation. Uh, get creative. Um, creativity is always good, but in terms of venture, there's sort of a few solutions that, that you can think of. Um, now we, we've seen a number of um, of bridge rounds, and I, I think you know whether we're in crisis or no. But you know when companies don't hit their KPIs or or there, there is another another issue, they, they tend to want to extend their runway um, by by, by using using a bridge round um, or trying financing. I think what is, what is interesting um, in some data that we've seen with um, companies that we've met over the over the last few months. Um, there's more and more of a debt component um, in terms of let's try to, you know, even talk to our banks in some cases when they have a program for, uh, for startups or let's see if you can add venture debt um, to, the, to the round as well um, as a way to at least uh, prevent some, uh, some dilution for the, um, uh, for the founders. So that's the kind of thing that we're, see we're seeing more. 
uh, but a bridge round, you know, potentially helps you extend the runway. Um, I just want to make sure that in terms of the, um, you know, the terms for the bridge round that, that people understand, you know, you kind of make, make, make the right choices. Do, do you guys see in terms of your line of business where a founder thinks, you know, bridge round is kind of the, the, the solution for everything. It gets more cash and um, it extends my runway. Um, but they then end up being stuck when they are raising um, raising their equity round after after the bridge round. Are there any cases you guys can speak to where you think like, hey, founders, be careful when you are raising a bridge round. These are like the top three issues uh, that, that you could be running into. Yeah. Well, I, th I think um, you had mentioned venture debt. And I think, you know, the, the thing to remember about venture debt, um, I know that's not directly what you asked about, is that it's very hard to get when you really need it. Um, so, so venture debt for the companies that are in this universe that we're talking about right now, I think venture debt is probably large, you know, largely off the table. So then you're talking about, you know, can we get bridge debt from our current investors? Um, I think in my view, at least, um, bridge debt is, is good for a company that's not really necessarily in dire straits. Maybe there's still an opportunity to raise from a third party, maybe they're, you know, they're because the revenue has gone down because of COVID, your, your, you know, your runway is shorter. So you need to bridge to the next round. I think there, you know, you're, you're, you're typically thinking about, you know, current investors who are bridging a company are thinking about how do I actually preserve maximum flexibility for the company to actually do a good round later. I mean, I think, you know, I think if Golden Gate is going to bridge a company, they're not going, oh, this is a great time to like, take advantage of the company and get great bridge terms. They're saying, this company is going to be a winner if they do the next round and a big up round. So how do I preserve that? So that might, that might mean, for example, thinking carefully about what kind of evaluation cap you put on there. What do the terms convey about what you believe about the company? That's really, really important in a bridge round. Um, you know, making sure that the bridge, you know, really supports the next round, I think is probably the key thing. Um, you know, again, I don't think most good investors are really trying to squeeze companies in this time, you know, at this time of their situation. And the other part with with venture debt, I mean, this is less so, although we see it creep in from time to time, is, is that with venture debt, there are a lot more operational covenants. Um, you know, there's reserve matters that every I'm sure every founder on the line is used to. Um, but operational covenants, both in terms of affirmative and negative covenants, things that you affirmatively must on a regular basis be you know, notifying to a venture debt lender and not that that's a wrong thing. That's just how kind of banks or quasi banks operate. But the reason that that can be a little bit of a, 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 a or a little bit of a eyes open for, for companies looking at, at venture debt is, is that, you know, it requires then somebody affirmatively monitoring and making sure that you're in compliance with those covenants. Um, and oftentimes for early to growth stage companies, they don't have you know, deep compliance or finance teams that are able to, you know, be watching on a quarterly basis or on an incurrence basis for given events to then make sure that, hey, look, we're notifying the lender that, you know, that we're taking this action. And then what, let me just say one other thing about bridge debt, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put my investor hat on for a minute. Uh, Michael will probably be happy. You know, and I think what, when you're, if you're a founder and you're going to your investor, and I actually see a lot of founders make this mistake, they go, wow, our runway is running out. Um, hey, Golden Gate, can you kick in some cash so we can make it to the next round? And I think it's also really important to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, while investors want to support their companies, there's always this, do I put good money after bad or what, what you know, you know, how, how do I, you know, they have their own limited partners and their own people they answer to. So I think as a founder, you know, you have to strike that balance where you, you really want to go to your investors and say, I want to make this worth your while. This is going to be a, you know, this is going to be a good deal for you because when we raise, you're going to get a great discount or whatever the term is. So I think, you know, if you want to make sure you've actually incentivized your current investors to participate, we're going to get to some of this later in the, in the kind of recapitalization slides. But you know, this is all about incentivizing people to, to also support the company and and, um, and fund it. Yeah, I, I think what, what I can what I can add here is an, in in a lot of situations where um, you know founders are trying to raise raise a bridge round, they understand that there's definitely a signaling fun function when it comes to are my existing investors coming into this bridge um, when you are approaching new investors. Um, so yeah, the one thing we always at least try to advise is. You know, have this conversation with your with your existing investors in terms of you know 
be transparent in terms of is there going to be participation from from these investors um is it only going to be sig signaling or is there true belief in the outcome of this company and, and what, what does that look like um a number of new investors would be reluctant to put money into a bridge if your existing shareholders are unwilling to to participate um because then the question becomes what's wrong with this company and why aren't your extra shareholders uh, trying to help you out on, on this round. So just make sure that in this conversation with your existing investors, um, you understand what support looks like, um, you know, that down to the dollar amount, because that's, that's very important. Um, yeah. And I think what is, what is you know, important for, for you as a founder is, you know, you're trying to avoid a down round wherever, wherever you can. And, um, you know, there's a lot we're going to talk about here. And I'm also going to take, um, because we're almost halfway through, also want to take a few questions from the, uh, uh, from the audience. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, how do I make sure that I don't get in a situation of, uh, of having, having to do a down round? Um, and basically what you've done in, in previous conversations about, so how do you, how do you manage a, a, a crisis year or crisis times it, it comes down to you know having an internal look at the company first and and really understand that if I go to market um, on a round for uh, at a lower valuation, um, I need to understand what, what, what's happening after. Um, there might be tougher negotiations with your existing investor. It might be a long drawn out conversation with a new investor coming on board who's negotiating terms. Um, there might be uh, you know even on the team. When it comes to um, you know how how do I how do I communicate um, that that we are raising money at a lower valuation and keep them not only incentivized but also motivated mo motivated moving forward. Um, so the first thing you know we always mention is is balance. You know try to find balance within the company. Um, in, inform inform the team. Uh, let them know what's going to happen next because you're going to need them um, as you are hitting those those KPIs move, moving forward. Um, so the part of balance, um, prudence, is, prudence is, is extremely, extremely important. Um, although you, you, you understand that you are facing, you know, lower valuation when fundraising, you're the one that as a founder that has to be positive about the company. Um, you know, when either talking to your existing investors or talking to new investors, if you're raising funds, you're the one that has, that has to stay and remain positive. Um, you're, you're the forefront. Uh, you're extremely important in the next step of the firm. And if it's all, you know, it's, if it's all doom in, in, in your mind, it's going to be very hard to raise, to raise the next round of funding. And it all kind of boils down to um, managing the team and, and keep, keeping that op optimism. The second part is around, are you able to streamline operations and, and reduce burn? What you'll hear is when you are raising a down round, our questions around burn. Uh, do you have your, your burn under control as a company. Um, raising at a lower valuation is one, but the most important part is getting out of this situation. And a big portion of that is, you know, streamlining, streamlining finances, streamlining operations, and making sure that, that you're able to execute. Um, I had an earlier conversation, actually I had an earlier conversation today, uh, which was around this subject. And, you know, how do you, how do you look at streamlining operations? You know, one thing you could do is, you know, take a relook at, at the product um, is there anything you can, you can shave off? Um, take a relook at the team. Um, is there anything you, you can do there? Um, would it be salary cuts? But make sure that once you present and go out fundraising um, at this lower valuation, that you have the plan ready um, and are ready for questions around what is the burn rate? What was it? Um, how have you been able to reduce it? And are you able to still run your operation and your business at this reduced burn rate? And, and, and what is the effect on things like revenue or GMV, et cetera. Um, before we continue, I want to look at a few questions. Um, so let me see if I can get them here. Perhaps I'm going to ask Winnie to help me and choose one. I'm just going to stop the share for a second. Um, so there's a, there's a few questions around how, um, how common down rounds are. Um, so that's interesting. So the question is, um, yeah, how, how common are down rounds? How, how often, how often do they happen? Um, so I don't think the, the, the fact is that 
um, a lot of data around this is not even public. Um, not all companies are announcing that they're doing a bridge round. Um, so you won't even notice if there is an actual, an actual download. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint an exact number. Um, I don't know, Matt or Ferris, do you have any data on if there's an increase in down rounds, you know, out of the 100 companies, how many are there, are there raising a down round? Have you you've seen any data on that? We have anything. We, we actually um, we do publish it um, actually also on that on our site. Um, so just uh, I'm just going to um, limit this to technology companies on our site. Um, so just just to give an example in uh, in Q2 of 2020, uh, we had four percent flat rounds, 21 percent down rounds, and 74 percent up rounds. Now just to just just for comparison. Um, Q4 of 2019, we had flat rounds and down rounds both at around 5% and up rounds at about 91%. So, you know, um, to Mike, Michael's point, I mean, you don't always know everything. Sometimes the down round ends up in the company not raising and <laughs> they don't show up on a, uh, on a stat somewhere. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that um, unlike your normal venture model where you say this number of companies is likely to fail, this number of companies is likely to succeed, down rounds tend to be, uh, tend to follow the, uh, the cyclical nature of the venture industry. Um, so they, they go up in times like this and they go down in other times, tend to be less static over time about how they, uh, how they shake out. But th that's the data, that's all, we make it all publicly available for the last 10 years. Yeah, just for folks, it's on our it's on our site. It's a reference site. It's called coolygo.com, and you click on the tab for trends or for resources, and then all of the, at the bottom there are interactive charts there. So all the data that matches references is posted right there. Thank you. Um, I'll I'll take a question from uh, Joseph. Uh, well, this is interesting. Um, what do you say to a majority investor who stonewalls a down round? Um, or what do you say to a majority investor who wants to abuse the down round to dilute the founders? I think what do we say, public or private? <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 do uh, private companies. <laughs> no, I mean, what do we say? What do we say in, in private conversation? But you know, this is a very. I mean, I'll just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the lawyer view is it's going to be different uh, than, and Mike will have a really good uh, insight here, but. Um, you know, this is frustrating. I think um, in terms, if you say, if you're asking, what do you say in terms of sort of trying to convince them to get on board? I mean, I think, you know, typically an investor has a large financial interest in the company. Um, and again, venture capital should be about, uh, you know, swinging for the upside. And so I think that the argument you try to make to people is like, listen, this is, you know, we're trying to put the company back together so that we can actually all have a good outcome here. Um, you know, what you're doing here is not supporting the company. Um, it's taking advantage of a situation. I mean, there's all kinds of arguments people make. Um, but I think, you know, the best thing to do is be, is argue, is to put pressure on that person and have the other investors put pressure on them to like, hey, listen, we're, we're kind of in this together. We need to step it up. Um, maybe you don't put more money in, but don't block the deal. That's, that's you know, uncalled for. And so um, that, that's kind of the, 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 t the tenor of conversations I hear. Yeah, so I, I can I can chime in from my side. Um, I, I the the most important part is assuming that there are um, other investors on the cap table. Um, as a founder, make sure that you talk to them immediately. Um, what what typically happens is the, the conversations amongst investors is a little bit different than the conversation between a founder and an investor. So what you can basically do is you know likely the existing investors would know, but ask your other shareholders for advice and say, hey, we're having this, you know, large party on our cap table. Um, we, we, need, we need the capital to, um, uh, to extend our runway, to run the business. Uh, we're being blocked here. You guys need to have a conversation because it also impacts, you know, it also impacts your, your, your shareholding in, in the company. And then this, the second one is um, when, it, when it turns ugly in terms of, you know, a real confrontation, I think what um, sometimes happens is that founders and investors um, forget to take a step back and ask what the real issue is. So usually the issue for an investor is not that they um, want to run the company in the ground because that would be 
um, very destructive for themselves as well, um, there's, there's probably some other problem. So the most important part here is go back to that investor and, and try to drill down what the exact issue is. Um, and then the most extreme solution, but I've, I've seen it work, is mediation. Um, is where you try to get a third party involved to help you out on this issue because you, you don't want to be stuck, you know, nine months negotiating with, with an unwilling investor um, whilst, whilst your company is, uh, is, is bleeding to death. So um, I would say use your existing shareholders, um, you know, try to have that honest conversation with this large majority shareholder, but if it doesn't work, yeah, try to find mediation as a, as a solution. You know, j just to reinforce on that point, uh, you're very much right, Michael, is um, I think it's, you know, look, for founders and for leadership teams, it's really tough because, right, like bandwidth is spread and there's not enough minutes in the day. But it, you know, what you're highlighting underscores a point that particularly for companies that have raised a few rounds, they have a number of institutional investors and your bandwidth is spread, right? Investors are constantly like calling their one-off or WhatsApp message asking, hey, what's going on with the business, this and that. And naturally there's, a gra there's only so much bandwidth that founders and, and you know, finance teams and leadership teams are able to allocate. But I think it's really important, and you know, I think in the slide it highlights this, is that you should be preparing not for a down round, but it's just a matter of almost like diplomacy. And it's a bit of making sure that you're engaged with those earlier round investors who helped bring the later round and subsequent round uh, capital in because, you know, as with anything, I mean, it's, a, it's an axiom in life, which is, is that, you know, good relations come back to, you know, come back and, and, and particularly because the nature of a, of a, the interaction, right, between a founding team or a founder and that last round capital, which is most likely going to lead an inside round, if that's the route you're going, it's going to be charged, right? They're going to say, understandably, that, hey, look, like, we're going to put if we're putting in additional capital it's going to come with a lot more operational restrictions no founder wants to hear that and that and, and particularly in a in a challenged environment that conversation is charged in itself being able to have other vcs who may be on your board other investors clearly they have networks they know one another and to be able to act almost as that intermediary or third party to come in but that legwork or that capex and those relationships is done months, if not over years in advance. And so long way of saying that, like, you know, don't kind of forget the early stage investors that uh, may either may not be on your board or that, you know, you may not be engaging with as much because they're the ones that oftentimes are so critical in these types of negotiations because they are by their nature charged and you need kind of, uh, you know, additional minds to kind of come in and help help level the conversation a bit. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take one more question before jumping into the presentation because it's easy. Um, so for the first question on the commonality of down rounds, what are the sources that you mentioned we can refer to again? So I think um, the, this was around uh, the Cooley Go site. Um, so we'll make sure in the presentation we'll, we'll add uh, Cooley Go as a source uh, so you guys can click on it and, um, and, and see if you can you know, find whatever, whatever, whatever you need there. I thought I'd take this question because it was an easy. <laughs> um, and I put it, I replied to it on online so you can see it there as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'll, I'll jump back to a few of the slides. Um, let me see if that works. I had an issue there earlier. Here we go. Um, yeah, so a few things in terms of when you are in need to prepare for a uh, for a down round, and a few things we've, we've kind of addressed earlier, um, uh, either during the questions or, or in the presentation. Um, but definitely a review of prior rounds or um, a cleanup of the cap table. So I think the, the latter we, we're seeing a little bit more, um, where there there is the need or um, the want to to clean up the cap table. And you know, see if that helps in terms of uh, the fundraise. Um, if it's a later stage investor, they, they tend to prefer to have value added investors on the cap table. Maybe some early investors are, are able to be to be bought out at a um, at a discount. Um, identifying conflicts, so whether that is with your um, existing investors, could also be with a large client that impacts that impacts your revenue, um, and especially during during times like like COVID, that there might be some clients that are that are now leaning towards, hey, we need to cut costs, 
you know, we, we want to, you know, end our subscription with your, with your business that could boil down to um, a conflict, which, which could end up being a financial conflict. So make sure that you identify those, uh, identify those early. One of the things that, um, or two things that I find very important is, um, you know, talk to your team. I think it's extremely important to have a conversation with your team in terms of what's going on with the business and, and how are things moving forward. Um, the worst thing I think for, for a team member to happen is, you know, hearing that, that the company is raising around a much lower valuation and then read it in the press. So just make sure that, that you have those conversations as soon as you know, have those conversations with your team, with your team early on. But then the question becomes, you know, how do I, how do I keep them engaged? Um, so for instance, if there is, um, you know, a salary cut um, across the board, how do I keep them engaged? I think that's where you're able to explore um, equity alternatives. And then, yeah, maybe a question to, to Matt and Farish is, are there any structures that, that you have seen in terms of what kind of equity alternatives could you provide um, employees when, when you are cutting salary, uh, but maybe want to give them a bit more on the, on the upside? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to remember about, about down rounds and recapitalizations is you still have to run, there still has to be a company to run. You still need to incentivize the team. Um, uh, it's really the way to think about, you know, a, a recapitalization or a down round is really just a, a reallocation of the equity ownership. And so um, it's, it is really important to uh, to think about how do you keep the team incentivized because, you you know, you just put more money in, we have to, we have to get a good outcome. So. You know, what you typically see are uh, either refresh grants, sometimes we can do re recaps or down rounds. Um, you'll often see um, a down round with a very large option pool. Um, and, and what happens mathematically in that situation is um, the new investor, people who are participating in the investors and the people who are participating in a new option plan end up taking an outsized part of the equity everyone else who was an either an old employee or an investor who's not supporting the company anymore, they'll get diluted by that. So you often see like a large option pool and then refresh grants out of that pool to the team that's con continuing. Um, you know, you, you see other things like, for example, um, let's say you're, you're bridging a company that's in trouble um, to an M&A exit. Um, you might see um, what you call like a, a MIP or a management incentive plan, which is effectively a set aside of an amount of money uh, usually expresses a percentage of, of the M&A deal um, that would go to the management team to make sure that you actually have people sticking around to actually execute the deal and, and make it a success for everyone. So that, those are the most common things you see in these types of deals. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I think lastly, in terms of, you know, preparing and we, we've kind of addressed this earlier as well is to make sure that, you know, if your company has a board or if it has shareholders, just make sure that, that you are, you know, talking to your existing investors, directors and, and board members um, and just, you know, seek their approval. I think the, the more people you have on board for this plan and people are, are understanding um, when you explain um, the more people you have on board for this plan. Um, the better it is for the, um, I think, for a successful outcome. Um, so given the, um, the time, we have another 15, uh, 15 minutes on the clock, um, and I do see a number of questions still coming in, so I just want to make sure that we, um, um, we, we get to those. Um, I'm just going to uh, just briefly um, talk about this, this part. So I think for, um, for the founders that, that are in the, in the midst of, um, of needing to, um, um, to get, to get into, get into a down round. Um, again, I, I think the most important part is, um, is have a plan ready. Um, just make sure that you get, get people on board with your plan. Um, so, so you're able to execute. I think the, the biggest, the biggest issue usually is, um, when it hits everyone with surprise, um, and you're, you're stuck with scrambling for, for support. Um, trying to raise around and run a business and keep your team on board, um, then it can be can can become a lot. Um, also, you know when it when it the business has difficulty in terms of you know it's 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 in a rough patch. Um, it's not always fundraising that is the solution. Um, I say take a deep look internally as well. Um, if if you are able, and we've seen cases where companies are able to cut costs, focus on products. 
um, you know, get their team on board on a, on a new strategy um, and get out the situation better again. So I think that there, you know, it, again, it's definitely not the end. Um, and fundraising is just not the only solution. Um, so just make sure that you do explore um, sort of different options when it comes to when it comes to uh, when it comes to down rounds. Um, so as, as mentioned, there's, there's a, um, a quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of sources um, that are available. Um, one, we'll make sure that we'll, we'll share the presentation, and um, you know, feel free to um, you know, send us an email, uh, so either to, to Matthew Ferris or, or, or to myself. Um, we'll make sure that that we'll, we'll share this as well. But I want to make sure that we have you know the last twelve minutes um, to address some of the questions that were that were coming in. Stop sharing this screen. Um, let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Um, have you recent have you seen recent funding rounds led by new investors where they ask for a multiple such as three x of their money as a liquidation preference? How common is this, and how do earlier investors feel about this? Um, so the short of it would be from my side. You know, the question basically is: Have you seen a three x liquidation preference when a new investor comes in? Um, in 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 my history, I I haven't seen it. Um, so this would be extremely aggressive um, um, to impoliteness, uh, close to impoliteness. I, I just haven't seen it. Um, the, the maximum I've seen would be 1.5 um, when, when there, there's, there's a bit of a negotiation, but I, I have not seen 3x. Um, yeah. Ferris, I don't know if you guys have. No, Sam, we, we have not. I mean, you know, like we, we've seen, you know, it's, it's, uh, for late, very late stage companies, and you know, even when things, you know, the curve is moving up and to the right, um, you know, you do see in very later rounds where investors will request a bit of a, a moderate uptick, perhaps like one and a quarter or some one and a half. But uh, in you know, seeing a three x or anything with that kind of a handle, I have not seen. Yeah, this this sounds like a um, we had a couple of softballs for Coolio here. But actually, this is data that we also published. I'll just mention that even in Q2 of of, um, of this year, um, you know, sort of one x one x is ninety three percent, one to two x is six percent, and anything above that is whatever the remainder is, which is just one or two percentage points. And so it is it is pretty rare. Um, so I, I agree with that. Yeah, for. For an investor that's coming in, right, and has otherwise made a commitment, as, 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 sorry, has made a commitment but understands the business rationale plus what the revised game plan is, say, as a result of a pivot, if it is a down round or even in turbulent markets, like that's kind of not the place where a sophisticated investor is going to optimize on. They most certainly, and I think, Michael, you made this point earlier, they're going to, you know, they, and it's fair game, right? In, in choppy markets, investors themselves have LP fiduciary duties. And so, you know, they're going to put additional operational controls. Maybe they do, I think in one of your earlier slides, you had tranche financing or, you know, what we call like drip financing, where they may, you know, they may tighten the quantum of capital coming in. And so it's tied to specific KPIs saying, hey, if this was your business plan, then fine over, a, you know, quarter on quarter basis, if you're hitting those KPIs, we'll additionally fund, a, you know, we'll put additional equity in. But, you know, kind of going with a two and a half, three X, you know, lick pref, that's really, um, whatever that saying is like a, like a hammer versus where a scalpel is perhaps a little bit better suited. Okay. Thank you. Um, we've got another upvoted question. What are some of the red flags that you look out for that distinguishes a company that is experiencing a down round and one that is in crisis and likely to fill and close up? Um, so that's a good question. How, how do you, how do you, see the difference between a company that's, that's likely going to liquidate versus a company which is um, having a down run but likely is going to be uh, it's going to be fine uh, fine after um, and you know are there any significant red flags um, I, I'm happy to happy to um, speak to this first um, so there's a few things when it's when it's still relatively early stage um, we, we, we tend to look at does the founder have an actual plan? Or is is the the down round or the situation that they're in um, taking them by surprise? And you'll 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 see it in in how they execute on a different strategy. Um, how fast are they are they able to pivot? How do they manage that team? How transparent are they? 
um, how do they inform how do they inform their partners so on the on the surface you can ask questions and have conversations with founders and management team um, also you want to understand if you know if there if there's multiple founders or uh, there's a larger management team is if everyone is aligned or if you're talking to one founder they would say you know we're going direction direction x and the other founder saying oh, we're going direction y so the alignment with, between the team and understanding the core of why are they raising this down round you know what exactly happened the founder that really understands that and is able to address it by these are the actions we're taking uh, it's an extremely important signal where we think if that's in place at least we can have sort of a deeper dive in the data and then we understand that that you know they're at least in at the right path where we are concerned and you know for us would be red flags is is when you know we ask sort of the regular questions is okay you're doing a down round you know what are the comparisons between last year and this year uh, what have you done to um, you know for instance to, to cut costs um, how do you see the world after crisis you know what what happens post what happens post this round and if those answers are not sufficient enough um, we just feel that you know you can give you we can give you funding uh, but you're just literally unprepared in terms of executing. And in these situations, you want someone that's able to execute thoroughly um, and fast, and is able to also get their get their team along. Um, oh, this is a good question. Um, I'll, I'll leave this one for Matthew and Ferris. What are the most common deal structures for down rounds? Um, any ideas for ways to make it a win-win? <laughs> Well, I mean, a down round in its most basic form is an equity financing that's at a lower price. Um, so that's probably the most, to answer your direct question, that's probably the most common. Um, you know, you often see that with a new investor coming in um, or maybe the last round investor, um, you know, even coming in a flat round. I mean, again, not all, not all down rounds are, are for companies who are in crisis. They might have just mispriced the last round. Um, you know, I think... Um, you often see those, um, uh, and we usually refer to them as recaps, but like down round, maybe led by insiders where there's, there's a, um, you know, anyone who participates at more than the pro rata gets um, some extra warrants or free equity. Like there's, there's ways you can incentivize participation. And I think, you know, in that situation, you know, as a founder, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, um, I'm in the situation I have to raise. I want to know who's got my back. So I, I want to know, I want to, I want to reward the people who are supporting the company. Um, and I want to, you know, sort of figuratively leave behind the people who are not, like not necessarily hurt them, but sometimes they do get hurt. Um, but I want to know who's, who's sort of got my back. So I think you can make a win-win by sort of reorienting the company towards the, the investors who are supporting you, fresh cash, new, you know, new burn plan, a new new way to address the market and kind of reorient the company and, and there have been countless companies who have come out of that and built great businesses and had great exits so it's not you know to, to michael's earlier point it's not necessarily a terrible thing um it's a, more like a speed bump for a lot of companies yeah the, the other one i would say is right like because you know the mantra is, is like it's governance and economics right so the other part about this is exactly to matt's point which is that if you do have either an investor or set of investors new or existing what you know you have a coalition of folks that are incentivized they've gotten the carrots um through you know kind of goodies that incentivize their participation the other key component there is is that you want to make sure on the governance side that you're also aligned in the business so for example if you have investors who maybe have board seats but really aren't in it you know aren't interested in participating you want to make sure and not from a punitive perspective but rather just to make sure that hey look like you've got a new business plan or a revitalized business plan you want to make sure that you have a lean board that is aligned with this vision this new vision that you're executing on so i think in addition to both economic rights it's also important to think about also like hey look like how are we making sure that the governance of the company is properly aligned to execute on a new business plan because you also got to move really quick right after the death particularly after these types of, uh, you know, these types of financing scenarios. That's awesome. Um, we are uh, three minutes to, uh, to six. It's been, uh, we, we still have, uh, we still have quite a number of, quite a number of questions. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll take one more, um, maybe before we, uh, before we wrap up. Um, so it, 
question from uh, Michael. Um, it's, it's a longer question, but I've, I've been looking at it for, for, for a bit. Um, so basically, uh, so Michael Berger is asking, um, having a scale-up tech, and he basically has been valued at um, ARR um, at a 70% um, gross, 10% net. Five years later, um, ARR is still growing, uh, but net margin has, um, or sorry, the gross, gross margin has, uh, has decreased. Um, question is if the company is, is heading to a down round and will, will he be valued at um, other metrics? Um, so I, it's, in, it's a very interesting point. So I, I do think where you're not necessarily on your way to a down round. Um, there, there's, there's a number of things in play here. So I think, you know, if a growing, we, we've seen quite a bit of time where um, a fast growing company um, actually sees a gross margin go down. And this could be because of a number of things. Um, investments that, that you've made, um, you might be subsidizing a few clients just, just to get them on board, but your top line is growing. I think if there is a sensible strategy behind that top line growth, um, you're definitely not necessarily into a down round. I think what you then need to do longer term, and this is a discussion you can have with your shareholders is, hey, I see my, my, my gross margin dropping. Um, I have a plan in place to you know, at least keep it at this level or better yet, um, sort of you know, make it increase again over, over the years. So it could be you know, less subsidizing some, uh, some businesses, um, it could be a new product feature, a new product strategy where you're able to, to generate to generate more of a gross margin whilst keeping your ARR up. So I, I don't think you're you're on your way to uh, you're on your way to a down round. I think it's more around you know what's what's the company and product strategy uh, top line you're growing. Uh, you just need to address you know the, the gross the gross margin issue, but it's it's from a from a very high level in terms of uh, advice. Um, and I want to, there's one question I, I wanted to end with, um, maybe on a, on a positive note. Um, so for Matt and Farish, have, have you guys seen a deal where, and I won't, we won't name companies, but where um, they were in, you know, a bad, bad position and uh, they were able to get out of it? And, and maybe are you able to name one or two characteristics, uh, what happened? And I'll definitely mention an example as well. Well, I, I think I think there are countless examples of it, and I, and it, I just really want to reiterate, you know, a, a down round is can lead to. I mean, it's not the down round itself; it's the fact that you might have a failing business, um, so the companies do fail. But I think, you know, there's a num there's a lot of things that happen that cause down rounds, and they're not always terrible. They're not always terrible things long term. Um, COVID affected everybody. Nobody knows it's going to happen. That's not an indictment of companies. And so I think the most important thing is to, uh, is to really put on your operator hat and, you know, manage your shareholders, man, you know, retain your employees, um, retain your customers, really con continue to focus on building the business. The funding part is a tool to achieve that. And I think, again, the best people, they power through it. They may remain positive. They remain, you know, focused on their vision. And like I said, uh, there's there's un, uncountable number of companies who have come out of that and had really successful outcomes. So, yeah, totally. yeah, no, I, I'd say the same. I mean, I, I think the key part, Michael, that you highlighted, which is that what we've seen in companies, even from my experience, companies that have navigated that, the founders and the leadership teams were really good about communicating to their teams, um, and which is so important. And through that, they were channeling positivity. Um, and, uh, you know, they had strong champion, um, investors who they had retained very solid relationships with. Some of these were early investors and, you know, so they, all of the points that we talked about earlier, they, they navigated that, you know, they kind of marshaled or quarterback that process really well, um, between communicating effectively with their teams, but then also coordinating with existing investors to really, you know, actually to, in one case, like a very successful exit. Yeah, I think um, the, the one thing I, I, I recall was um, one founder uh, where we had a conversation with, and this was just before COVID kind of became, uh, became a, a, a real global problem. Um, and the first thing he said was, this is really going to impact my business. I have to do something. And without having a very clear plan in mind yet, um, his first instinct was something's going to happen. Something drastic is going to happen to my business. I need to do something. And the one thing that he, he and his team immediately did was literally get all the founders on the phone 
and said, this is where we are. I think this is going to happen. I'm not sure, but I think this is going to happen. Could be worse, uh, but I need to do X, Y, or Z. And to me, that, that, that shows, um, in this case, his maturity as a founder by addressing it, um, getting his shareholders on the call and saying, you know, we need to do something. So when it eventually got worse, no one was surprised. Um, and, and the company is actually, it's, it's miraculously how, how hard he's worked, but the company's back, back on the up and up um, because he got so much support from his, uh, from his existing, existing investors and, uh, and team members. Um, so again, um, it's definitely not the end, um, although this is the end of our, of our webinar. Um, I would appreciate everyone for dialing in. Um, I know it's a Friday afternoon. Um, please, um, uh, I would say, give a warm applause for Matthew and uh, Ferris, but I'll do it, I'll do it virtually. Uh, thank you guys for, uh, for joining. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Kuli, for, uh, for helping out with this as well. Um, and to all the um, people that are listening in, uh, there will be a recording of, of the session. We'll make sure to also share, uh, share the presentation. For some of the questions that have been unanswered, um, we're, we're sorry about it. We're just run out of time. Uh, we'll do our best um, to answer these, answer these later on. Um, for now, have a very good weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until the next time. Thank you. Thank you.